Hey everybody, this is Albert Kumpa, Cantina MX Podcast. Back again for uh, some football discussion. We got a special guest today, and I'll introduce him last, but let's uh, say hello to Joel and Jaime. How are you guys doing? Hey, what's up everybody? We have uh, some fun stuff to talk about this week. Um, Joel, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Cool, man. Pretty good so far, you know. Yeah. Well, glad to have you guys. Um, so our special guest for today and an interesting topic that uh, I wanted to discuss specifically with him. He's the man with the knowledge on all this. Uh, we have Walter Franco. How's it going, Walter? Good, man. Uh, good to see you. Goel, Jaime. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, so, like, there's a lot of discussion. I guess we'll start off with this uh, this social media in English going on with the Liga MX. And this has sort of been an ongoing thing for, for a while now, as slowly Liga MX clubs have started doing social media in English. The Mexican national team um, started theirs as well. And just recently, uh, some team, uh, Chivas, came out with their English account and uh, that just started like an uproar. I saw a lot of tweets um, that I guess people were saying, were thinking in their mind but never said it out loud and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Walter, but uh, uh, ever since the English social media and Mexican soccer came out, no one ever said it, but now that Chivas came out and started doing, I guess, I guess because of the errors, and you're like the, you're like the guru in detecting English grammar errors <laughs> in the, in these tweets and stuff. But uh, maybe it was because the errors, and now people are saying that they should start hire, they should look into hiring uh, like Mexican Americans that actually speak English and all this stuff. Yeah, and people are coming out and actually vote. First, I should explain that I'm not an English by English. so you know. And, but some of the errors are pretty bad that they should be obvious to any basic level education. I'm sure there's probably other things that are probably correct, but I would defer to a major university. <laughs> but some, of, some of them are pretty obvious, so that's why I've, I've kind of yeah. gone hard at some of those accounts. And some of it was like funny, like they, they sort of like the Chivas account made fun and they were saying like, uh, what did they, they, you know, the mix of English and Spanish. But, uh, so the whole discussion is around the, I guess the, the job, the job itself. And, uh, would a Mexican club like Chivas or America or any of the clubs ever hire, uh, an American, a Mexican American that lives in the U.S., to actually do the, this position of a, I guess, a social media manager and, and handle their Twitter account, would that ever be a possibility? Do you think? Well, um, man, so I mean, oh. this this question can kind of go a lot a lot of different ways, but to briefly answer it, um, you've already two instances where. Mex where a Mexican club has hired uh, some or even 
And so the first example is um, Tate. Uh, in the soccer Tijuana, Seattle, but Diego at this about seven or eight years ago. And, uh, I think like a local publication in San Diego, she would go to Cholo's games and kind of be involved there. And she had kind of a prominent mm-hmm. role there in the San Diego soccer. And then she, I think through the right connections, she pitched uh, English language program content for to Santos Laguna. They loved it. They hired her, and then she moved to Santos Laguna. And then, uh, so she, after Cholos, became the second, they became that became the second club in Liga MX to content. I've been doing so for several years. And now, with Orlegi, which is the owner of Santos Laguna, buying Atlas last year or a year and a half ago, um, he's overtaken now Atlas in English with their content and also Santos. So um, that's that's the reason why Atlas started doing stuff in because of the ownership group. Also, because Tate is there doing that. So that's that's the first example of someone that's hired that's not Mexican or Spanish native speaking. And then the second example is uh, Ted Brooks. Who uh, was hired to run uh, Club America or to launch Club America's language? He was originally with Philadelphia Union doing their social media. And uh, again, I think this is what, two years ago this happened. And, uh, you know, that was one of my favorite Liga MX official language accounts because uh, through his experience in MLS and just being in the US and just different best practices that he's had there from. Media. like it was a really fun account a lot of good content original a lot of personality and uh but then he i think he lasted maybe a year because he had an opportunity to go back to mls and now he's at Inter. and so um since he left there's been a significant drop in content and quality on the side for club america so as as of now with the exception of uh, santos laguna and uh and, and uh, Atlas, and I think also Tijuana. I, th- I think it has a Mexican American or someone at least that's on the border that speaks English well enough. But everyone else is non-native Spanish speaker. Uh, all the other clubs, and and to be honest, it shows. And and, and I'm also talking about the Mexican national too. Uh-huh. So I think when we're talking about, like I guess for future reference, when I'm referring to clubs, I'm also referring to the Mexican as well. Yeah, Does and that kind of answer your question. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and from my perspective, like when I see all the, uh, well, first of all, I don't, I'm, it's not my aspiration to get one of these jobs, but <laughs> but uh, I actually sort of think that uh, it's good that these guys, like I even I even replied to the Chivas account. He made a mistake and I said, hey, man, keep up the good work and I corrected him. <laughs> but uh, I think it's good that at least these guys are getting a chance and they're in Mexico and they have like a, you know, a job that they're, you know, they're, they're doing, they're working and they're not, uh, uh, you know, getting that opportunity it, taken who, from them. What are the chances? It's, it's someone's nephew, man. They just, uh, that's true. Just, just that's give hijo it to him, papi, just, hijo let, de papi. Let, let junior handle it, dude. How that, hard can this that's be? That's true. That's, that's true. But junior, junior might need that stuff also, man. He might need it. Nah, if you're a junior, you don't need it, dude. You, well, like, well, a junior is the guy who takes over his father's company, though, man. Like, the dad's not going to be around. The, the company owner's not going to be around forever, so he's got to pass that on to somebody. 
or would you rather have like a, a like a spoiled American Mexican American you know take over that job and you know no just... if, if there's someone over there that that has a good grasp of, of how to like it's because it's not just knowing the language it's also like how we communicate is, is a bit exactly. different exactly yeah. and that and and that's and that's one of the biggest things too is that I've had discussions with other people like in the industry and just you know general public is that um, it's not enough to just to speak English because a lot of these people I, I imagine that a lot of these these guys that are running uh, these accounts in English they they probably speak really good English or understand it at, at minimum they probably understand it perfectly so if you were to speak to them and have a, and try to have a conversation with them if they were to watch TV or Netflix or anything in the U S they'd probably have no problem understanding it but expressing themselves or understanding like the nuances the jerga like the vocabulary the slang like the cultural differences like that's where the issue the issue is right so i mean all of us like i speak spanish i think all of you guys speak spanish to, to a degree I, i'm but i still consider myself bocho so like i can watch i can watch any spanish tv program i can live in mexico and understand every single thing that's being said without any issue but for me to replicate something exactly how it should correctly in Mexico, I'm not going to, I'm going to, I'm going to say it in my version, my Mexican American version. Right. And so that's, I think that's the equivalent of what's happening over there. Yeah. So imagine well, if, you know what, Franco, what you're saying, like what you're saying, like over there, if you start talking, they'll spot it right away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, so and so that's the same with us. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's exactly, that's, that's exactly what I was getting at. So imagine Imagine FC Dallas, right? They say, hey, we want to start to penetrate the Mexican market. We're going to start doing activations in Mexico, blah, blah, blah. And let's FC Dallas or any MLS club. And if they hire me, let's say they hire any of them hire me and say, hey, Walter, uh, you know, you speak Spanish. You speak Spanish really well. You understand everything they say. So we're going to hire you to start doing social media over there, right? And so uh, I could probably get a lot of things right and get a good understanding of things. But I 100% I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to get an accent wrong. I'm going to get a, a reference wrong. Sometimes I'm going to do kind of a Google translate in my mind of what I'm trying to say in English, but how it should sound in Spanish. And it's probably going to be off. And what would happen? I would be a laughing stock in Mexico, right? They're like, este pocho que, que está haciendo? Like, he doesn't. And then not only that, but just cultural, you know, relevance, like to what a, a Mexican is, is dealing with on a daily basis uh, in, in their community in Guadalajara or wherever, right? Like, I'm not going to be able to be in tune with them from afar, and I'm not going to be able to get certain relevant topics with them. And that's exactly what's happening right now with, with these accounts and the Mexican national team is that, number one, they're not native Spanish English speakers. Maybe they went to school for a few years, college. Some of them I know personally that some just went a year or two to college in the U.S., and so that qualifies them enough for, you know, being a English speaker. And so... Uh, you know, number one, that. And then the other thing, too, is uh, being in Mexico, they're not really aware of what's, what's, what's happening here. What what us as Mexican-Americans are going through on a daily basis with, you know, just speaking, you know, of recent current events with Black Lives Matter and, you know, the things that we have to that we had to deal with growing up as Mexican-Americans and and the things that we care, we care about. Obviously, a lot of the Mexican culture is ingrained in us with food and certain traditions and other things. But a Mexican-American is so different than an actual Mexican, right? In, in, in so many different ways. And, and, that's, and that shows in their tweets. And, and it, there's definitely a cultural disconnect between a Mexican and a Mexican-American on social media. 
And so, um, and so that's why I, I've, you know, I've been advocating for five years now that number one, Liga MX, Mex, Mexican national team, Liga MX, the league itself, they need to start adapting their message in English to Mexican Americans, but they need to actually, they actually need to have boots on the ground, like people in the U S that are understanding what's going on that can have a relevant, you know, that can actually resonate with, you know, the Mexican American demographic. And that's why I think really, if you guys follow, follow what Bayern Munich has been doing in the U S with their social media, uh, they have their, their own U S account. And that to me is the standard for how a, a foreign club should activate in the U S from a social media standpoint, because they took the time to invest and they have Americans in the U S doing their social media. They're able to adapt their message. It's a universal message that, you know, whether you're, you know, Caucasian, whether you're Mexican American, you can still relate somehow to that account and you can still be connected to them. And that's what Liga MX is uh, and their clubs and the Mexican national team are, 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 are missing. And by having people that are non-native, non-native uh, English speakers and having people still based in Mexico, it's just going to cause these issues. Uh, aside for, and not, not just from the grammatical issues too. Um, I, I think one of the things that I've been harping on recently too, that you guys may have seen with several accounts is when they announce game times, they always say uh, at 1800 hours, right? Who, who, who uses that in the U S unless you're in the military, right? At 1800, 1900 hours. I actually, yeah, use and it, then, and then, <laughs> I'm one of the minorities. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, but I mean the mainstream, right? Like no, nobody uses that. And then, yeah, and then too, one, one of the, one of the recent issues too, is that especially with the Mexican national team is they keep saying, you know, whether it's 1900 hours, but they always say CST, which I think for them, they think that means central, central time, which it does, but it CST means central standard time, but central yeah. standard time is only November through March and March through November, which we're in right now is central daylight time or CDT. Right. And so there's things like that, that it's like, man, like for, for, you enjoy it? <laughs> I, I enjoy it. I like like that, like those, like the micro micro and fart, or the yeah, but that yeah, right? I know, right? The chronicle and micro farts, yeah. So I mean, it just it just shows you is like, you know, a lot of people are saying like, hey, this is it's good that these teams are doing this. Like, it's the intention that matters. And like, I'm like, okay, yeah, I guess. But like, think about it. This this isn't a blog, right? These aren't volunteers. This isn't a charity. This isn't people just kind of saying, hey. You know, we're gonna, you know, just do this as a hobby. Like this, these, these are multi-million dollar clubs. Most of them are worth hundreds of millions of dollars. They have presence both in Mexico and in the U.S. Like, there should be a minimum standard of quality for their communications, right? And to be honest, the majority just aren't meeting that quality right now. And 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 again, it goes if this if they were making these mistakes in Spanish, they wouldn't be forgiven. They'd be a laughing stock. So why is it okay for for them to make these mistakes in English? And then the, the other point to that too is, uh, you know, one of the big issues that I don't think has been talked about is um, most likely that CM is probably the best or the most uh, fluent. English speaker in the whole club, right? And so if they're making mistakes, there's no one above them to, to proofread or to edit or to make sure that uh, that's a correct uh, translation or correct intonation or whatever. And so there's no proofreading process. And so they're just publishing out anything and then it's on the open. And then everyone's seeing, hey, oh, that's actually a mistake. This is a mistake. And then if the Mexican national team has often been called out on mistakes and they delete their tweets two or three times before they actually get it right. And so 
anyway, it, it, it's it's definitely been that's, an interesting ride that, for sure. That is, that is probably uh, with a hangover tweeting. <laughs> but all right, my, 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 my biggest question. My biggest question is a lot of these English accounts, I mean, they only have like what a thousand, maybe two thousand followers. Like, what's the biggest English uh, account in the Liga Mekis? I think Mexican, well, the Mexican national team yeah. has 60,000 plus, right? Um, okay. I think, I think, hold on one sec. I think Cholos have because I'm looking at Atlas, uh, they have more just 18, 18, 29. I mean, you know, we're talking, it's not that much, and Atlas is. Really? Uh, but they probably bought. They probably another, bought them, dude. That's another discussion. They're all like in about. India and China. Because obviously, like the amount, uh, uh, the the following in English, it is growing, and there is a demand for it for pochos, like yeah. like all of us. But o- obviously, it's like compared to the Spanish like uh, accounts, like they're they're a fraction of the size. Yeah. So it's like. Yeah, I mean, well, I th- I think you have to you have to think about it too. Is that you know that's really all they're doing right now though is is just just some content which is typically just tweets right but there's no real other engagement there's no press conferences there's no uh engagement with the players there's no you know trying to do watch parties or getting information from fans in the US and so that takes time though that's like an investment and that that and that's at this point really it's just about planting seeds and you're not going to see an immediate result in like 5 years um, I think, you know, with Bayern Munich, they've had their offices in New York now for, I think, I want to say coming on six years now. Um, so they've organically and slowly grown their presence in the U.S. through watch parties and through other initiatives. But, I mean, and I think they finally, I think they're over 100K now in followers, uh, Bayern Munich, and the, for the U.S. account, it might be more than that now. Um, but, uh, again, it's taken time for them to get to that point. And so... I, I I think for these clubs and the Mexican national team, a lot more still needs to be done from their end instead of just tweeting out and, and content. And I think, though, had they done this 10 years ago and got in at the very beginning and started to, to, to have that content, then the numbers would be greater now. So I don't, I don't think that's a reflection on the lack of demand. I think it's just a reflection of lack of strategy from the teams on, on, on activating. It's German really efficiency that. versus Mexican desmadre. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chivas, Chivas TV, man. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you. Chivas TV, they got, what is it now? Five years? Uh, I don't remember. No, I don't Four, think it's that long. Chivas TV? Yeah, it's... it's. Uh, I think it's like three years, no? And yeah. man, it's just as bad as when it started, at least content-wise. Uh, they started uh, May of 2016. So okay, so four years, years now. Going, One thing I that had they to do, cancel mine. They didn't offer shit. <laughs> well, they did. They do like okay. So they do at least a little bit. I remember back a, a while, bit. like a year or two ago, the national team used to have like uh, uh, Periscope or like Twitter Live of like behind the scenes with the national team, like when they're training or right before a press conference, and they would talk like what's going on. And, and, and so you could get like a, I think that's what Walter's talking about. The little, yeah, yeah. well, but, and uh, to your point there, but they'll, so they've had some turnover there too. I know from personally what's been going on there. And so they had some involvement with an agency to help them do the original person that was there that was doing a lot of good things eventually got transferred to another department. And now someone else is in there 
and they haven't followed the same and they have a new director over that department so their strategy has changed now which is a, a shame and obviously with covid it's kind of harder to uh you know get that same type of in player engagement without you know official you know mexico training or matches over the last several months yeah so i think that that would be good and chivas tv does that a little bit like they would do sort of some behind the scenes or like a post or pre-game. How do you know, how, how do you know Chivas? I, I would see it. Like it's, it used, so, to, be on, you're, you're it used to be so. on YouTube. They used to be on YouTube before before the whole Chivas TV. But but, here, but here's the thing though, Beto, too, is is that's where these clubs need to investigate. Do Mexican-Americans want to consume the same, do, the, do they consume content, like non-game content, the same way that Mexicans do? Does that mm, make sense? That's a good question. So, yeah. so I think, so I think like your approach has to be different. I, mm-hmm. Yeah. Your approach has to be different. Yeah. You, you have to be... understand like, do Mexican Americans really care about that? That thing? Like I, I, I go to Mexico often. I have family there. And so just culturally too, there's so many differences to how even the media presents certain things. Like what we, what, what when we, you know, there's certain things that I see on TV that I'm like, that is so cheesy. That just wouldn't fly in the U S even on Univision or Telemundo, but on a, on TV Azteca, or Televisa, it totally flies there, and people are crying, and they love it. They're eating it up. But in Mex- in the U.S., it wouldn't work. You know what I mean? So I think there's some things that are similar like that uh, it, when it comes to sports and sports content, so behind-the-scenes things like that. And so that's where clubs really need to understand, you know, which is the low-hanging fruit, which is Mexican-Americans, understand their base and say, you know, what what are their consumption habits? You know, they're, they're obviously probably into other sports, what are those other sports doing to engage with their fans? How can we adapt some of that, but put like a, a span, uh, you know, Mexican American spin on it. You know what I mean? So we got all those TikToks, things take man. time and investment. TikTok What's videos, up? TikTok videos. <laughs> That's how yeah. you get, get that stuff out of here, man. <laughs> yeah. Elisa Hernandez, you're not a fan, Beto? No, not a fan. I think one, one of his, one of his videos was okay. And the rest, I was just like shaking my head. Oh, really? no, I love it. Like, I love it. Like You're missing out. Really like. <laughs> Two comments though on this. On this. So, like it could be in reverse. Like if you hire a, a Mexican American, they're not going to know the intricacies of of Mexico that might be applicable to even an English content uh, social media account. Like uh, maybe they say, "Oh, we're going to give a signed jersey to El Peje," and they'd be like, "What's that? Uh, who's that? <laughs> or, or what are you talking about?" And so right, it, right. It, it could come in reverse. The other comment well, is. But no, no, but well, let, let me, let me, yeah. if, if you, let me kind of counter that point. So, I mean, the, the English language CM, like they're not necessarily the ones that are creating the, the whole strategy for, for that, that arm of, of communications. Right. And so if there is something where there's going to be a public appearance for the president for Peje or whatever, like that's where you, you rely on your boss and, Hey, we're going to have this appearance with the, with the Mexican president. This is kind of the cultural, this is what's going on culturally. And then allowing giving that creativity to the to the mexican-american cm in the u.s assuming that's how it was and saying how can we adapt this and so it, it takes strategy and collaboration for it to to be something relevant right yeah. and so I, I don't think i don't think it's an impossible task but that's that's kind of where you have to understand that it it would have to be different like i bet you uh like obviously i you know having worked in mexico and having family in mexico and being really close ties there like I know who Peque is, Peque is, and I know who you guys probably know who he is too. But how many other Mexican Americans do you think could name the uh, not only what the name of the Mexican president is and what his nickname is? What what percentage would you guys put it? I would put it yeah, less no, than thirty percent. 
not or even like what party he is. He, yeah, or even what party, yeah. Many people don't know what Morena means. They, they don't even know what El Pri or, or Pan mean, right? Yeah. And so that just shows you, again, that huge cultural gap between Mexican and Mexican-Americans, right? They, they may have seen Pe Peña Nieto or, or, or El Peje through different memes, through WhatsApp, through their tías or whatever, but that's that's probably the, the, the extent of their knowledge, right? Yeah, that's good points. Another, uh, the, other, the other comment I was going to make was the... Uh... I guess Joel sort of mentioned it. Um, the ex, uh, I guess the example of looking foolish, uh, not knowing the culture and all the intricacies of everything. But we have sort of some examples in. Uh, oh, what's that? I forget his name. He's the he's a former player that's on Univision. He he doesn't speak in, uh, Spanish very well, but he's always on the broadcast. You also have. Uh, uh, you talking about Risto Stoichkov? Yeah, Risto Stoichkov. Oh, he's on the there. Bulgarian. And yeah, the Bulgarian. And sometimes, yeah. sometimes you'll be like, "What the heck is this guy saying?" But he's a, he's a, he's an asset. I enjoy I enjoy it, even though. Yeah, you know, yeah. And then the same with. Uh, but but you right? have to remember though, with him though, he's he's speaking Spain Spanish, right? His his only ties is to the Spanish languages from his time in Barcelona, right? Yeah. So he he really has no connection at all with Latin America, other than just being in Miami for Univision or Tudiani. The other but guy, he also the, Balboa. The Balboa yeah, is but, cringe, bro. That Balboa. guy. I don't know. I don't like that guy. <laughs> no, he, he's nice. I've met him in person. He's he's a really genuine good guy. So he, you can't you can't you can't talk trash about him with me. I'm not I'm not Spanish. talking trash. I'm just saying he's cringe. The Spanish broadcast, <laughs> Spanish broadcast is like you know it's total gringo eyes, and that's you know that's just that's the way it's gonna be. Well, he's Ar Argentinian, I guess, from Argentina. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's obvious. You know, there's the accent there. There's you know the the mistakes there, but it's acceptable. It's something that you and he he does provide a good. Uh, some good insight because of his knowledge with the U S national team. So, um, so that, you know, that's, that's something there as well, that, that these types of mistakes, I guess, if you want to call it that are normal are acceptable and it provides some type of, uh, even nice color to, to the, to the broadcast or to the content. I know they recently started, uh, broadcasting some, some through the NA games in English on like the alternate channels and uh yeah i mean well well they started that a few years ago too remember through facebook live yeah. where uh they would do a few games uh through univision back before or univision deportes before it was two day and so it's good to see them branch out more into that to make it more official through the alternate two day channels and then as of course uh with Cholos, last the last year and a half, they've been doing uh, some games on Fo uh, Fox Sports One or Fox Sports Two in English, or FS One or FS Two. Um, so that that's kind of going to be a harder sell. And that's that's again, it has to be. I, I think we're judging too quick on the English language stuff, not on the. I'm not talking about like the mistakes that are being made, but just on the immediate results because it's still, you know, all this stuff that's happening is still within like a five year time frame still. And so you need to give it more time to, I think, to organically grow and kind of grow with the changing evolution of the Mexican-American demographic, which over time continues to speak less and less Spanish. Yeah, so so like let's, I guess, not really shifting, but I think more of what you wanted to discuss, um, and maybe this can point us in the right direction. So like uh, I think Amy had a thread where she was ranting about this. And I think there was some numbers and discussion about 
moving uh, like whoever this content manager would be in the U.S. or moving would it, would they be would they be better moving to Mexico and all this stuff? Did, mm-hmm. Is that something that you that you wanted to discuss on the podcast about? Like the yeah, so yeah, so I mean, Amy definitely had a lot of frustrations, and I definitely uh, you know understand where she's coming from. I think you know there's definitely been a huge effort by a lot of people in the, you know, the quote unquote league MX in English community. Uh, going back to, as we were talking about earlier with, with Joel and others who, you know, from 15, 20 years ago, that were really the first to start uh, talking about Mexican soccer in English. And then a lot of other people have come through uh, recently over the last, you know, 10 years, 10, five years with including Amy and Tom Marshall, Weasel and, and other people at Cesar. And so um, there's definitely a, a strong community. And, and I think, you know, and I, and I asked her about it to get more of her thoughts, uh, you know, of what her solution was. And I, and she didn't say it, but I, I kind of got the impression that maybe her and other people are, are frustrated saying that, hey, you know, there's so many people out there who are talented that, that have been doing this for, so, for a long time, you know, as their passion these are the people that should be getting shots at doing, you know, doing this work for officially for clubs. And so I definitely get that sentiment. Um, but you know, the reality is, is it's just a different world in Mexico, man, with soccer clubs, with their hiring processes. Um, it really is a network, uh, you know, it's cliche as it sounds. And this is the same in, in, in the U S too, in business. It's about who, you know, and getting the right people. And uh, that's number one is is that they already have Mexican clubs have the structure of networks where they know people and they know who what type of people they want. Number one, number two, they really don't look outside of Mexico to hire with the with the rare exception with Kim Tate and Ted Brooks. But those are people that actually moved to to Mexico. Why? Because these Mexican clubs, for as much money as they have and as rich as they are. They simply don't 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 have in, in their budget to pay for someone in the U.S. They can't pay a U.S. market uh, salary uh, for this work. And to kind of give you an idea, so for an MLS for a similar role in MLS, you're looking at somewhere in the thirty-five to forty-five thousand annual salary range. So if if depending where you're living, that might be enough to afford an apartment. If if you live in LA, you're you're probably still need a room uh, be roommates with like six other people to afford to, to survive. Right. And so, um, but that's, that's not even how much, how much the CM in Mexico's boss is making. And so to kind of give you an idea of, this was about three years ago. Uh, we as an agency, um, made a pitch to a major, uh, uh one of the biggest MLS or excuse me, Lee MX clubs to be, to help them create a strategy for their social media in the U S and actually start to execute and manage it for them. And our uh, sal, our proposed fee for doing that long term on an annual basis was somewhere in the mid thirties, thirty thousands. And the feedback that we got from the club immediately was like, "Hey, this is a great service that you guys provide, but unfortunately, we can't we can't afford it. In fact, the fee that you're proposing uh, is more than our uh, like our VP of communications makes in Mexico. And so, uh, so we can't we can't justify paying you guys that much if the person that you'd be reporting to uh, makes less than you, uh, much less than you. And so uh, a, a long story short, a, a, an English-speaking CM 
or any CM for me, Liga MX club, you're making probably somewhere between fifteen thousand to twenty thousand dollars annually a year. Which, if you live in Mexico, maybe you know, depending what market you live in, you could probably afford you know a two bedroom apartment by yourself. Um, I, probably not enough to support a family uh, when you start to take all the other expenses into account. But I mean. I don't know how many people from the U.S. you know are willing to move, with the exception of the people that I just mentioned, right? And I think in the case of Ted, I don't want to speculate what his uh, what his motivations were, but I think maybe he just said, "Hey, you know, this is a great opportunity to take this huge adventure um, to go down to Mexico, work for Club America. I'll go there for a year or two, and then jump ship again." And that's exactly what he did. He went down there, stayed there for a year, and then now he's at Inter Miami. And so, uh, you know. Th- they wouldn't be able to afford to pay him what he was making in Philadelphia, but it looks like he was willing to take a, you know, economic hit for a year to get, get a, you know, international experience for a major club. So um, I think those are the two things is, is having that right network in Mexico and then the salary expectations. They just simply can't afford to pay someone in the U S what, what someone in the U S should be paid for. And then the other thing too is, uh, you know, oftentimes, for as great content as you know the league mx community has been doing in the u.s sometimes that content doesn't really align with what the club's values are if that makes sense so whatever so if, if i have my own blog and it has a lot of views and, and followers and a lot of influence for league mx and i might go to chivas or someone else and they're like yeah that's you're doing a great job but you know this is the direction that we're thinking this is what we want to do. So if you can't adapt to that, then we can't hire you because we have a different reality. And that that lies more on the fault of Liga MX clubs because, once again, it's the lack of understanding of the Mexican-American demographic. A lot of clubs still think whatever you know we do for Mexicans here in this market, we can imitate or replicate in, Mex- in the U.S. because they're the same demographic. They're the same. They care about the same things. And that's not the case. Sorry, that's kind of a, a long-winded answer, Beto. Hopefully that, uh, that, that answer kind of... Yeah, that's some good information. I think she was, uh, Amy was talking, or I'm not sure for sure, but, um, you know, the Chivas English account, the unofficial one, I guess, <laughs> is run by, I think, Melissa is her name, and she lives mm-hmm. in San Luis Potosí. But, you know, yeah. like you said, you have to be, you know, San Luis Potosí isn't Guadalajara, so you have to have that connection. And um, I think she probably would have been a, a good... I think, well, she does have an accent... Uh, a Mex- uh, Spanish act, Mexican accent, um, but she does, I think, do well in uh, her English. I also was thinking of like Eric Gomez. He he does something else, I think, but he's I think he's from San Diego. Um, yeah, he's from, he's he's kind of like me. He's from San Diego and Tijuana, and he's like some someone like him or Melissa. I don't I don't know Melissa that well, but uh, but someone like er- Eric would be great because he fully understands he lives in mexico city he still works for espn as a journalist yeah. but um he he gets it because he's been on the border he, he knows both worlds of mexico and the u.s and so he would be able to understand the cultural differences and, and everything right so someone like him would be really interesting but i think it's worth mentioning too um i don't know jaime where you're from or joel where you're from originally but um so like i said i'm from san diego and tijuana but Tijuana, even Tijuana is so different from the rest of Mexico, uh, geographically, culturally, and economically. I mean, um, I think it was really until the 70s or 80s when they barely started using pesos in Tijuana in that whole area. Be- up before then, it was, it, uh, it was just dollars. My mom 
uh, grew up in, uh, she was born in Sonora, but she grew up in Rosarito, which is just south of Tijuana. And her and my grandma and my uncles and aunts, like they didn't use, they use U.S. dollars it, when they were growing up in, in Mexico because th they were so, so much more tied to, to San Diego. And even the Cholos have admitted themselves that they're more, Tijuana as a, as a community, as a market is more culturally tied to San Diego than to Mexico City. And so that's one of the things that you kind of have to think is too, is that, you know, it's just, Mexico is just kind of a weird place because it's the core Southern Mexico is just so different from the rest of the, the La Frontera. And just like I said, with Mexican Americans. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's how it goes, man. That's some interesting, interesting information that you gave, especially on the, uh, sort of the numbers behind all that and that makes sense like the the salary numbers I, I remember i was at a game in san antonio i talked to uh this this guy a photographer i was doing photography and this guy was from queretaro i was talking to him and i think he believed i think he said he does as many league mx games as he can around the queretaro area um i think he said two thousand to three thousand pesos a game is what he gets for for his yeah. photos so that tells that tells a lot, but yeah. Well, then, Jaime, did, you have, did you have anything else for uh, Alter? Any questions or? Um, no, very insightful stuff, man. Thank you for for hopping on and spending time with us. Uh, yeah, obviously the the wages. Uh, there's a <laughs> completely different, you know, market out there in Mexico. I mean, I know uh, where I go in my hometown, like the average person makes like three hundred pesos a day. So to ask uh, six hundred thousand pesos <laughs> for for a year, I mean that very few people make that. So, but I I think if you have someone in Mex that at least with a bit more understanding, they could hire someone. They could get someone here from the U.S. to do it for free, because there's a lot of the soccer. Uh, you know, when you see a lot of the soccer websites, most of most of the people writing are are doing it either for free or very cheap. You know? Yeah. And so if I think for for Twitter and and stuff like that, where you could find a bunch of people that would jump on it and be willing to do it. Uh, similar yeah. how you said that one guy that flew down uh, to Max, but I mean, they would just stay here. Uh, you, but I'm saying you just need that one person that's on top of it to make sure they're not messing around or they're not going to end up, you know, like like we've seen with some accounts where someone forgot they were logged into the company account and then they they tweeted something or they, they like... Uh, they uh, liked like a porn pick or something like that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, but I mean, well, you... I... what happened? No, no, I was gonna say, well, you know, I, it, it's even if they like hire like a college intern, you know what I mean, like a Mexican Mexican American college intern that needs to get credit for you know a social media class that, but still have someone supervising him or her. Uh, in the u.s to kind of like just get the ball rolling and, and at least getting grammar stuff correct and other things correct uh 
that that's one step. And, and then the other thing too, is just hiring an agency. I mean, so I, one of the, again, another great example of, of foreign clubs doing the right thing. Uh, so the uh, Wolverhampton, Wolverhampton Wolves, uh, so they created a Spanish account, and you've, we've all seen what they've done to activate the Mexican market because of Raúl Jiménez. Uh, even uh, uh, was it West Ham with Chicharito? They hired, I think, Martín Palermo or Martín, uh, not Martín Palermo, but Martín del Palacio, I think, to to do their uh, Spanish uh, their Spanish media, social media for for them while they had Chicharito. Uh, and so that's an example there of actually hiring Spanish someone Spanish speaking, native Spanish speaker who understands the Mexican market because he's Mexican. And so they had success there. And then Bayer Leverkusen, which Charito did the same thing. Uh, and so those are examples. And I think with those, I think in the case of Wolverhampton, they actually hired a PR slash social media agency in Mexico city to do their, their social, their tweets. So they're not, they don't have someone in, in England doing that for them. They have someone in Mexico tweeting on their behalf. So that, that just shows like that's the strategy that needs to be taken. And so, um, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm throwing out free tips here for, for clubs and, and the league, but <laughs> I really think that, you know, the majority of clubs don't have the, or actually most clubs don't have the financial resources to have their own, you know, U.S.-based office. I don't know if you guys knew or not, but Club America a year and a half ago, they opened up a, a New York office. Um, but that project only lasted about nine months. And so they, they closed their office after nine months. And, and a lot had to do with the fact that they just they weren't seeing the ROI after nine months. But no one's going to see an ROI after nine months. They need to stick to, you know, commit and, and invest in a project. But uh, really, one of the things that I think would be beneficial for League MX is to actually do what Bundesliga is doing. So Bundesliga has New York City offices uh, to obviously help with their, their league, but they've also created an office space in New York so that other Bundesliga clubs that don't have the financial resources to have their own office in New York, that they can use that space to set up meetings with potential sponsors. So it's basically a, a WeWork for all their Bundesliga clubs, you know, a free office space for them. And so I, I really think that if Liga MX did something similar, I, I don't think it would make sense to do it in New York. I think maybe in Miami, just because of its uh, proximity to, to uh, Tudene, or at minimum Dallas or LA, if they were to open up a league office in one of those markets and then have space so that every other League MX club can have you know a shared space so that when they have meetings with potential sponsors, that they can go there, and, or that at that point, League MX can hire a PR agency to help all the you know League MX clubs with social media in English and that, that person or that agency could be based out of that market. And so it's like little things like that, that, that obviously require an investment, but if they're able to invest and actually have a plan on how to monetize their social media presence, which is key. If you can have, you know, an English Twitter language account that after every goal, it's sponsored by, you know, Wells Fargo bank, or if it's sponsored by, you know, um, I don't know, Toyota, in the U.S., like that's how you start to monetize uh, your presence, and then you start to really see the ROI uh, from your investment. So um, that's kind of how that should work. But um, like I said, in the case of Club America with New York, they just kind of lost patience and they didn't see the ROI right away, and so they they kind of moved away from it. I'm pretty sure they sent some juniors, man. They were just partying all night. <laughs> I could see it already, man. Uh, uh, 
But I, you know, it, what you're saying about just just like copying what Bundesliga is doing, you know, which is you know it's proving if it's, it's being effective for them. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's something that the league could definitely do, especially the league as a whole. Uh, you just seen how they recently added Caliente as as their like uh, sponsor, online yeah. sponsor or something. Yeah. And so yeah, I I do think that that would have been. I don't know. I don't know what online sponsor means. Probably just more money for them. <laughs> it's, just, it's just probably a name and and. The league just just pocketed this cash, but I mean they could have done that just just off of that sponsorship like that alone, and uh, and and set something up like that. But I, I yeah I don't think that a, a lot of the clubs uh, presidents they, they think like that. Like you know that that's yeah, just no. not. I think the, the the mentality of Mexico is the short game. You know, they're not looking at long term investments because they might not be there. You know, you look at all the teams that have yeah that have been like you know musical chairs, so they don't really understand like investment and like the long term of, no, of, I, I of think, this stuff. I think they understand investment, but it's like you said, they might not have the team the next day, which is what what we've seen with a lot of clubs. Uh, you know that change owners all the time. Yeah. Well, and, and I, th- I think in addition to that, though, is that at least in the U.S., Liga MX clubs are mal acostumbrados. And what I mean by that is that they're spoiled. They've been spoiled to the point that they just expect money to come to them, that people give them money before they have to do anything. What I mean by that is they for the last, you know, almost 20 years, they've been coming to the U.S. to collect a paycheck for friendly matches. Right. Working through promoters or being paid by MLS clubs directly. Um, and so they, they're used to, to doing that and they're used to Univision and now Tudene paying their broadcast rights and then, uh, brokering with some, with soccer and marketing to do the campeon de campeones and now the league's cup and everything. So they're used to doing, oh, when they think us, oh, someone's going to pay us and then we have to, but they're not, they're not used to us, to them actually taking the initiative themselves in the U S and, and realizing, oh, if if I need to do that, means that I actually need to invest my money. But you know, I don't want to invest that money because I don't want to wait three to four years to to see that ROI. You know what I mean? And so that's that's kind of I think where there's a disconnect too with Liga MX clubs is that they just wait, they expect people just to come to them for ideas. And I've seen that personally. Is is you, you know, pitch them an idea. What's that? You just described Chihuahua's USA. <laughs> so I, you just I mean, put the name, throw the jersey, and the people will show up. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, we can. That's that's a whole different <laughs> other podcast for why that was an interesting <laughs> case study. But uh, I mean, does that make sense? Though it's like they're to the point where they're just so used. And and you know what? And it's not just League of Mex clubs. I should I should clarify that a lot of European clubs too have that mentality when they think about, hey, we want to open up an office in New York or in the U.S. Like. The U.S. is such an untapped market opportunity for us for a soccer club, and they just think that, you know, whether, you know, whatever club you are, that you're just going to get to the U.S. and people are just going to start paying you money and, and and take you all over the country for friendly matches and whatever. And so, it's not just a Liga MX thing, but it's disappointing to see Liga MX take that approach. So because it's their neighbor to the north, they're the clubs that stand to benefit the most commercially from from their presence in the U.S. as opposed to Bayern Munich and other clubs because. Because of thirty to forty Mexican American million Mexican Americans that live there, 
But uh, it, it's funny speaking of the European clubs. There's, I, I was speaking to some promoters at Soccer X in November for that this uh, international soccer conference that was held in Miami, and there was a group that said, "Hey, uh, we want you to help us get the, uh, some Greek teams to play friendly matches in the U.S." And uh, I was like, "Okay, well, what are their expectations financially?" Because to me, understanding the U.S. market, there's basically zero interest or demand for having, you know, for paying top dollar for a Greek uh, soccer club to play a friendly match against either an MLS club or anyone else. And they were their demands were so high. Well, no, they need to get paid this amount of money for, in in a bonus fee. Then they didn't have these types of accommodations. And I and I just kind of chuckled yeah. and and nothing ever happened. I I think a, a part because of COVID. But number two, I, I know that no team would be interested. MLS team would be interested in hosting, hosting a Greek a club. They wanted a bowl of green M and M's, dude. Yeah, and, and, and it's not, and it's not, and it's not because the Greek clubs are bad. It's just because there's not enough Greek demographic or Greek American presence in a specific market to warrant having them come and, and be paid an exorbitant amount. And that, that's just again talking about the expectations for European clubs that they think, okay, we'll walk in the U.S. and everyone will want us. But no, that's that's not the case. Well, if they had the holy netty, then maybe a little bit. <laughs> Olympiacos, man. Pulido, dude. No. Pulido, man. That nah, is... Pulido, no. We don't need no Pulido. He's, not, he's, he's washed, man. I, I, he's washed. Yeah, you definitely hit yeah. it on the uh, nail on the head, though, with the whole, like, you know, we're, the, the U.S., we're, we're like, when it comes to, like, people in Mexico, they're always used to us giving them things. So it's like, yeah, I want to run your Twitter account. Oh, cool. How much are you going to pay me for that? It's like what? No. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> basically. Yeah, that's because that's, that's they're used to being the the, what, the cash cow. Like they're used to being yeah. a monster in the market. What? But yeah. the English market, they can't be a monster. Like when you talk about the Bundesliga or like uh, Wolves or what was it? Uh, when Chicharito was over there, they created the Spanish account. That's the that's the Spanish Mexican monster market that's there. But an English account is not a monster, like we were talking about all the. Uh, all the uh, you know the followers that these English accounts that, uh, have. Um, another comment, real quick, and then I'll let uh, Jaime say what he's got to say. Uh, whenever you said, uh, whenever you said Martin Palermo, I think Joel and Jaime like flinched a little bit. They got scared, and you know, like a little bit of sweat started dripping down their forehead. They got what? They had what? What? fake news. <laughs> fake news. They got they got traumatized like Buffalo back in the day. Like Buffalo <laughs> Russell, La Bombonera, dude. He did, he did. The other way he, around, dude. He did. No, dude. He did. Not he, just he, any player can walk into that stadium and and make the crowd go ape shit. <laughs> no, dude. And, and Buffalo yeah. Angel did just that, dude. He, he, <laughs> he, he bowed up when he was in Guadalajara, and then he tried to extend that you know that confidence in uh, in Argentina, and he got shut down. And he bent the knee, and he uh, he he sh- he put down his head. He realized where he was at. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, what were you saying? One of, one of the things I want to comment on. Uh, there's so many things uh, about the Bundesliga that that I wish the Mexican league would would adopt. Number one, collective TV rights. Sell the league as a package together, not like, oh, I'm gonna watch the Chivas game on freaking Telemundo, then I gotta hop on Fox Sport. You know, it's like, no, get all the teams, get one price, and just sell the entire package, and just sell that to Europe, sell it to Asia, sell it to the United States. That's how you get more exposure. Um, all, another thing with the Bundesliga is like th- most of the German national team is like playing in the Bundesliga, you know. So 
you don't they don't really export that many players to like England, Spain, Italy, all that. So they they have a very competitive league. Um, and the reason I mentioned that is because uh, Gerardo Ortega is is joining uh, a team in Belgium, Genk, and yeah. everyone's all excited about him. Oh, he's going to Europe! It, it's like excited, and I'm like, why? Why should we be celebrating? This is Belgium. It's not a very it's a it's a farmers <laughs> league, and I all right, maybe this is a hot take, but I personally think that the the Liga Mekis is a better league than, than the Belgian league, and um, you know they and a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, well he's getting exposure, you know, he's getting exposure to all these teams in Europe, and I'm like, well, if we were to have like again collective TV rights, we would have the exposure that these these players need without having to export to these small clubs in Europe because a lot of the times these sort of projects don't go very well. You know, look at what happened. Over, you know, Choa's maybe not the best example, but he w- he spent his time in Belgium. Uh, and we also have Omar Goer, who's been hopping around from team to team in, in Belgium. And they haven't leapfrogged from that league to a bigger club. Whereas they could have stayed in Mexico. Yeah. They could have gotten the exposure they needed. And they could have went straight to like a, a big club. So, yeah. That exposure, just quick note, that... I don't buy it. I think you make it to the national team, you'll get good exposure. Um, you know, I don't think you have to go and play in Greece or or all those leagues. I mean, if you want to, that's cool, and and you want to be in Europe, but just for that, like that's that's your only, you know, that's the main reason. I don't think. Uh, I think you'll get it just just being in the national team. It's like uh, I, I have a I have a counterpoint for uh, Jaime. I think how, how old is uh is this player? I think he's what eighteen, nineteen. Uh, I gotta double check, but yeah, he's a youngin. Yeah, he's youngin, right? So he's still very much before his prime, right? So I think I 21. I look at this as a as actually a positive because if he's going to Europe now, he went at probably a much smaller fee, right? As opposed to you know Rodolfo Pizarro or any other Mexican player in the past in their prime that is just was super inflated and no European team is willing to pay that amount coming out of Mexico. So the way that I look at it is if he's going in already into Europe at a cheaper rate, you know then potentially if things go well, then Gank would sell him at at a more market reasonable rate because I'm sure that they have a history of selling to bigger he's, clubs he's 21, than themselves. Though, yeah, he's 21. Okay, he's 21. Yeah, so. Yes. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know. It, one one of the things that I've definitely had to struggle with with kind of one of the issues that Liga MX clubs have that others. Well, I guess you maybe maybe Brazil to an extent, but they've kind of have done a good job in Argentina of understanding their role in the marketplace. But at the same time, too, I think European clubs respect more the products that are coming out of Argentina and Brazil because of their, you know, they're just their they're approving commodity. Whereas the Mexican, yeah, exactly, yeah. the Mexican is a very high gamble, high risk, expensive, exactly. and, and doesn't always pan out because we don't have that track record that Argentina. Exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, but, I think there's more risk. Yeah, but, but I mean, with that, though, is like, you know, Mexican players can, you know, even if you're really good, you can probably spend the rest of your life playing in the Liga MX and make it, you know, live comfortably for the rest of your life, right? And so sometimes there just doesn't have as much incentive to go to me- to go to Europe and then take a significant pay cut if you have to start from the bottom of the totem pole again and work your way up, which, you know, I don't know. But 
it's that's that the transfer stuff and the player stuff isn't my forte. So I kind of have my takes are usually hot takes. So I don't, I don't know if you really want to hear them. So it's the adoration of Europe. Oh, he went to Europe. Yeah, that could probably yeah. Get, it's like uh, Gudinho, you know, he went to Cyprus. You know, it's like it counts. It's Europe, you know, but it's like, <laughs> come on, man. And, it's like back in, the, back in the day, like not too long ago, all the Mexican like because, you know, the Mexico U.S. rival. All the Mexican fans used to make fun of the U.S. because the U.S. would say, oh, we have all these players in Europe. And the Mexican fans would say, yeah, they're in like second division. Uh, they're in Bel- yeah. Belarus. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. And then and then now we're all celebrating a uh, dude going to Belgium. Calm yourselves down with your, with your Mexican, Mexican. I forgot abroad. about that, Cheekies. I forgot <laughs> about that, but I remember how there used to be a point, a talking point that they were going to surpass, uh, you know, the national team because they had like 80% of their squad in Europe. And I remember they had a youngster in, in uh, what was his name, in Manchester United, and uh, they thought he was going to be the next best thing. Uh, but he, he, I don't think he ever got to break into the first team. But, yeah, it's it's. It's the same thing, and and you can see it. Even Canada at one point had a lot of players in Europe, so I, I think this whole it does get blown over proportion. I'm not saying it's not good, but it's not the end all, be all of football. You know, it's if you're in a really good team and you're a key player, then yeah, I, I, you know the way Marquez was and some of these other dudes. But just to be there, like the way Pulido went and he just wrote the pine and then played in second division. Pretty much just wasted two years of his career. I don't, I don't see what the point of that is. So I, I have a question for you guys. Uh, somewhat semi-related topic. It's related somehow to, to to soccer. But what are you guys? What's your opinion or take on the the blog uh, Naked Humans? <laughs> Cheeky's favorite. Oh, oh man. Yeah. You just you, you just triggered me, man. You just triggered me. Um, I just I just think that uh unfortunately Javier has surrounded himself by the wrong kind of people. He's definitely more sensitive and uh his life coach Le Lavol Coco, you know what I mean? Like I don't know how he convinced him to deck you know, have him in his life and basically let him mooch off of him, but I'm not a big fan of it. Um, I don't really watch it. I, the only one I did watch was when he announced his move to like, you know, the MLS and it was a very emotional episode. So that was, you know, we, we definitely broke that, that episode down, but I don't know if they've been uploading lately or what's been going on. I know he's like slinging, uh, herbal life nowadays, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, it's cool that you get to see the, like the inside scoop of someone's life, but did anybody, I don't remember anybody asking is. Yeah. Well, this, this is a thing. Like, I think it is cool. Like you said, that we get to see the insides of, you know, somebody's life and perspective of things. I remember the earliest instance of Chicharito and this was before naked humans. This was a, it was an Instagram live and he was in Spain somewhere with, uh, with El Pelon, I forget his name. Um, and they're talking, they're asking, answering questions from fans, and they would get really defensive 
on certain questions. And he would really, he would express himself, um, you know, just really straightforward on the things that he didn't like. And he would express his opinions on, especially on do what you want to do, you know, be your own self. Don't let whatever everyone else says affect you. And he was just like, you know how when, you, when you're famous and you, uh, and you like post on social media and people tell you not to read the replies, this dude would read the replies and he would justify himself and he would, it just seems like that was his whole deal. And then his life coach would be there with him along the way and he would become like his own philosopher, his own like uh, psychiatrist. And he, and he would try to spew that stuff out on these lives and these, uh, and these blogs. And so it, it turned him from a normal like star player that everyone loved and that everyone saw him on the field for his attributes on the field into this other type of personality who became, you know, would somebody, somebody might say is annoying or too sensitive or, you know, reads too much into all the insults and, and tries to justify himself, you know, amongst all these, you know, like haters and things like that. So I think um, my take on the whole thing is, yes, it is interesting, but you do see a lot of his weaknesses and his insecurities on a lot of things. Like when he said that he's a legend or, you know, he, he says these things to build himself up, which, you know, it's very much true. He's a legend, but to say that shows like extra types of things. So I think, you know, I try to, I try to watch him, but you know, it's sort of not really a good look. I think for him, sometimes you just got to, uh, you know, choose the type of content you want to show. I, I just can't, I can't really think of too many players that are, that are doing a, a vlog as they're still like in the game. And um, if this was like a stock, like ever since he started his blog, I've noticed his goal production has been down. So it's like, uh, you know, are you distracted or, you know, where are you putting your efforts in? It looks like you're spending more time on your social media presence than you are on the actual pitch. And that's, that's my take. So my take's a little different because I, I, I don't care. Well, I do have takes about the personal stuff, what he's been doing with his career and things like that. But more for me, it's my take is more about the premise, the whole premise of the show with, uh, you know, who the target audience is, uh, why the fact that it's in English in, in the English language uh, and who. who actually really cares about what's going on. So it looks like Beto's a fan. He, he's, he seems to like the the behind the scenes, it looks like. I'm a fan to, to make fun of it later. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, the, so the way that I see it, and this is actually is kind of tying back to some of the conversations we had earlier today about the disconnect between Mexicans and Mexican-Americans. So um, from my understanding, Diego, who's the life coach, he's Mexican. Right, born in Mexico. I think the other friend of theirs, I don't know who is. I think he's also Mexican, and then she studied those courses in Mexican. Right? They they speak good enough English, you know, not not knocking them on their English for for whatever reason. But it feels like, and I could be wrong, but this is kind of the vibe that I get, and that's why it kind of puts it kind of gets you know it bothers me a little bit. Is that I think the show is tailored towards upper middle class Mexicans. Mexican Mexicans like from Mexico that speak English, uh, 
that are kind of, you know, upper middle class or the 1%. Uh, and I think they're trying to attract people in the U.S., but I, I, don't, I really don't think Mexican-Americans care about that show. Like, I kind of, when I, I watched a few minutes of it before once, I think it was the one where, where he was on the phone call with his parents and everything. And aside from that being really cringe, because I, I, I definitely respect the moment that he was going through it and, and empathize with him. But like, I felt like Diego really exploited that situation for the benefit of himself in the show. Like, why did he have to be in the same screenshot? I don't know if you guys noticed that, but he, he had to make sure that he was still within the shot of the frame. You know what I mean? And so that, that should definitely be a private moment. And so I, I, I don't know that that's kind of a different point, but I think that I'm kind of turned off by the fact of how it's being presented is that, you know, Mexican-Americans or just the general public, whoever they want to watch is supposed to care about what I can see them care about maybe Chicharito because he's a legend. But the fact that now like, okay, now we're going to go see what Diego is doing on his daily life. And the other guy that we've never heard of before in our lives, but now we're supposed to care. So I don't know. I have a lot of different thoughts about it, but I was curious to hear what you guys thought and to see if, you know, I'm completely off base or do I make sense at all? Or I don't know. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. Like who are you trying to target? Because you obviously are eliminating like most of the population in Mexico, you know, cause they're like, yeah. Oh, add subtitles or something, you know? Yeah. He gets hate for that. And I think that, uh, we're also underestimating the amount of English fans, like from the print, you know, from his times at Man- Manchester United and, mm, yeah. and West Ham United, I think they're, he definitely won the hearts of, of a lot of fans there and they still respect his name out there. Like he, he got a standing ovation for, uh, when he was at West Ham, even though he was, you know, he, he um, he was, at, he was at Old Trafford playing against Manchester United, but the fans were still like, you know, clapping for him and stuff. So he, he still has like a lot of love out there. Um, so I'm, I think he's like also like catering to like those people, uh, the non-Mexicans. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also like in the Bundesliga too, he won a lot of hearts and minds in Leverkusen. So, um, I think, but I, I, I would love to see like the actual analytics Cause on YouTube, well, so, YouTube Studio, you can actually so see like the age. And- yeah, so I'm I'm on the page right now, and I think their highest, just kind of scanning here through the last year, their highest rated or viewed, uh, video was from ten months ago at I think when he moved to Sevilla, where it's, it has like four hundred seventy thousand views, and there's then uh, I think the one where he moves to LA had 334,000 views, which I guess are good numbers. But then I think my daughters who love watching like Play-Doh videos on YouTube and other dumb videos on YouTube have views in the millions, right? So that's, I think that's relative. So I don't know if if this project for them has actually been successful, averaging, you know, somewhere between the low 80,000 views. It looks like they had a scene here. They had a a YouTube video from uh, five or a vlog upload from five days ago that only has 35,000 views. So I don't know if, if, uh, I don't know, it, it's all relative, right. To, to whatever else is out there on YouTube that actually is, is popular. That's interesting though, that you say that it, the, it caters to the, uh, like the upper middle class in Mexico. That, well, that, that's, that's my perception though, because that, that's what both the other guy and Diego, kind of give off the vibe that that was the culture that they were raised in. Not that that's a bad thing, but I'm just saying is that the fact that they're not speaking in Spanish, where I would imagine that the majority of their target would be Spanish speakers, and the majority of Spanish speakers in Mexico just don't speak English or have a basic understanding of English, so you're automatically eliminating them. So it kind of comes off as like sangron-ish, like that, 
you know, we're, you're, you know, if you don't speak English, you're, you know, you're not good enough for us. And so we're trying to get people that speak English. And the fact that I don't know if it's, they speak English just because of Chicharito's wife, but in most of the videos that I've seen or clips, you know, sometimes she's not there at all and they're still speaking in English. So I, like I said, I don't know what, what's going on, but Jaime brought up a good point that I didn't really think about. Maybe it's for the, the audience in Europe, but you know, based on the numbers that I'm seeing just from their views, it doesn't look like they're really, you know, hitting their targets or whatever they want to do. If they're trying to make, make money off of it. I think the European numbers it's a good point that Jaime made, but I think those those numbers are small. Like yeah. even though you made an impression on them, I don't think they're going to go out looking for you know. Every, there might be a few, but uh, but the uh, what makes me think of <laughs> like the uh, the English speaking. So I, I tend to think, and I've seen videos of people making fun of people from Guadalajara. What do they call them? The white Mexicans. Yeah, and, like they're dancing like reggaeton, and you know they're all. In their nice, nice clothes. It's sort of like the Pulido used to do his Instagram things when he's on the beach or he's like dancing and doing his stuff in Guadalajara and you know partying and and all that. And uh, that's that's the audience that I see. You know, they speak English. They you know they they understand it a little bit, and uh, so they want to go watch Chicharito from you know from Chivas and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, we've done videos. I think Jaime and I like solo videos, just analyzing some of the stuff that he did. And it's just uh Yeah, we broke down that the the one where he, where he was crying to his mom or his dad and we were just like, Man, like Yeah, there's some good things. Why, that why are you sharing this? <laughs> it's like keep, yeah, it, well, that's keep what, that to yourself. Like Yeah, that's that's what I was saying too, is like like I, I definitely I felt for him and, and that's definitely a big decision and and I think that shows a lot of heart from him to involve his parents and everything. But like I don't want to see that just because like that should be a private moment. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that's like, you know, the, the depths of his soul or whatever. And, and the fact that, that, you know, it was published and the fact that Diego is still in there kind of shows the influence that he has in yeah. Chicharito's it's life too. Right. The fact influence. that it's mm-hmm. not his wife there, it's, it's him. And he, he's st- sitting there making sure the cameras turn on and make sure that he's still in, that people are still seeing that he's there with them. Like that just really rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, so I did the math. Uh, the YouTube channel is uh, a little bit over a year old. It has a total of uh, five over five million views. There's 32 videos, so they're averaging about 170 thousand views. If you were to break, yeah. It down. So I mean, it's it's, it's, that's, it's I mean, uh, that's pretty good it, for it, it, for what it's it is. not that bad. But but I'm looking right now at a YouTube video that that my daughters look at. It's a 10 minute <laughs> Play-Doh video of SpongeBob. And it has in two years thirteen million views. Oh yeah, well. So I mean, I think you're under <laughs> underestimating the power of having kids and trying to get. Yeah. <laughs> hey, here, just shut up and watch this video. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I'm on a Zoom That's call, true. man. I gotta, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta. I'm on this conference call. Here, just, just watch this. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I, I, it's uh, yeah, like you said, I, it kind of feels like this is uh, one of those harebrained ideas by Diego. Uh, he has a weird ass last name. It's like Doofus or Dreyfus. And then uh, one of the ones that was like really, really awkward was like, I think he was driving. Sarah was in the passenger seat crying about how like she's fat because she's pregnant. And then Chicharito's in the back, I think, with a camera. And, she, and he's giving her, like, a pep talk. Like, you're beautiful. You're not fat. 
and screw anybody that says that. It, I'm like, bro, that should be coming from Javier. That should be coming from you, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a perfect example of what this whole show is about. It's yeah. about, about like showing, you know, increasing your own self-esteem and not letting all the hate barge in, barge in on you. And so it's sort of like it's, you know, they're, they're boosting themselves up. That's why the whole, the whole thing with him moving to L.A., was actually a retirement and he even said it we all know they they know it themselves but they need to form it in their mind their own way to where this is good for them this is not you know a step down even though they know it is a step down everyone knows it's a step down and you know they have to make themselves feel comfortable and feel good in that and that's what the whole this whole story is like with her Hmm. in that case and and there's other scenarios with that as well um i'll tell you like uh, I, I show like whenever her because we have we have my wife and I have four four daughters right, um, they're all now but uh, I I I on purposely when I was watching some of those uh, videos, especially when they had the baby, I on I I purposely showed my wife, um, her talk about her experience. And she just went off, <laughs> and I, and it was about like uh, I mean I guess when you're wealthy, and you know you want to do certain things, and uh, and uh, it was you know it was just something that I found that was sort of weird, um, but I knew it would trigger my wife, so I had to show it to her. <laughs> it was pretty irritating. <laughs> I think I think that's when her when the boy was was just born, she was uh, and and I'm and I'm not. Um, you know, downgrading, what is it called? Postpartum depression or anything like that. She might have had like a little bout of that. She wanted to go out, you know, and, you know, have her typical, cause she's a model, right? She's, you know, used to having, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, attention and wealth and all that. Um, but with the baby sort of like locked down and she, she was, she expressed that she was locked down. She was with him all the time and then Javier was off training and traveling with the national team and stuff so it's 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 hard um but she sort of expressed that uh uh that struggle and she hated so I, Sevilla because they didn't have Uber Eats oh yeah you can't get there was <laughs> oh, really I remember that you just reminded me there was no grocery store you know, they did. They, it was hard to go and find food, and you had to go. She's know. like, "I'm with the baby all day. I can't cook. I gotta. There's no Uber Eats here like there is in London." Blah 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 blah. So I had to. T- I had to tell my show my wife who was with four. So and what? Did, what did your wife say? She just got. She, she broke her phone. Got, what, what kind of spoiled person is this? Because <laughs> my wife, I, I at the time when my girls were like, I think the youngest was just born, and the oldest was maybe five or six or something. So they were, so they were right in a row. So she was at home with like four little girls and I had to travel for work at this time. So it was not, it was not a picnic for her. And she's one of those, I guess, like macha mexicanas. <laughs> so she, she handled that like a boss. Uh, and when she just saw that like sort of softness, she did not, and did not appreciate it. <laughs> it does make me wonder how much of an influence that move to Galaxy was by his wife, you know, because I, I always felt that he left Sevilla very prematurely. I mean, he was only there for like six months, right? Like he wasn't even there for a full mm. season. And uh, I think he still had it. Like he still had the juice to com- keep compete in Europe. Like I think on his debut, he scored a free kick goal. And uh, it's like he was scoring goals every now and then. 
Um, I think he still like could have had another another like at least a full season, maybe maybe two seasons there before taking that offer in the LA Galaxy. But we also don't know the whole, you know, happy wife, happy life, you know, back end, you know, how much of her right. complaining like, oh, just go to LA, you know, I can model out there, I can do this, I can do that, you know. It's like, damn. Well, she's got another baby coming now, so number two um, in the it, oven, and it's gonna be Diego's baby. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 <laughs> the, I want the DNA test. They gotta go on Jerry Springer. <laughs> no, that's uh, not Jerry Springer. It's uh, oh, Maury, 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 you are not the father. You are not the father. <laughs> you know, maybe this is a pilot for them to try and secure like a TV show in the states. You know, maybe that's what the whole YouTube channel is about. Maybe they're trying. Oh, yeah. Maybe they're trying to just like, hey, you know, look, we had a successful YouTube channel. We can after after the MLS, maybe uh, Chicharito will try and be like a you know TV star or something. But she hated that, uh, like the move from Sevilla. Wait, the move from uh, England to Sevilla. I think she. I think she mentioned she that was like a tough move, and then uh, Chicharito was like off with the national team, and she she had the move like pretty much all by herself. And then all of a sudden now she, and then she was going to move and then they had to move back to, to, well, they had to move to LA, like sort of, you know, months after not, it wasn't too long after. So it was like two, two moves in a row real quick. Um, but I think the second move, she didn't really complain as much. I didn't think about, you know, yeah, she, she wants to go to LA. That's the place to go and all that. But yeah, interesting. She's like, my modeling friend, friends are out here in LA. I'm like, ah, I knew it. It was all you the whole time. <laughs> 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 uh, they didn't portray it that way with it, so that's you know she was off to the side it seemed during that whole that whole ordeal cool well gents um yes i guess we're wrapping it up we're gonna wrap it up but uh yeah thank you all for hopping on and dropping that knowledge on us man that was definitely very insightful and hopefully these league mx teams can I know they're gonna be like late to the party, but they'll they'll figure it out. They'll they'll start to to see the big picture. Well, that's like I said, that's the idea. I've been kind of I said I, I our, in our daily work where we specialize in market research, sports market research, and looking at trends and changing demographics and everything. And the way that I see things is uh, if they don't make moves soon in the next ten fifteen years. Um, no one will care about Liga MX outside of Mexico, especially Mexican Americans in the U.S. are going to stop either just like other sports or like an MLS club or like Bayern Munich or someone else. So, um, the time to act was actually several years ago to start building those seeds. So, I don't know. We'll see. It's definitely an interesting trying to. I I look at this and whenever I talk about this, I I don't talk about it like a fan of the game. I am a fan of the game, but I, I try to talk about it objectively. And saying this is what the data is showing, this is what's trending, this is what the real life applications are. These are the conversations I have with clubs, blah blah blah. And so, so that's how I'm able to to make these, uh, you know, quote unquote, educated guesses or projections based on what I'm seeing, what has happened in the past, and, and everything. So that's it's giving an interesting few so, years to see how things will will evolve. So maybe my final comment doesn't really apply because uh, uh, you reminded me of it. Um, because you sort of like your comment just now sort of changed my outlook on this. So my, I was going to make like a final sort of bet or prediction with you on the whole concept and Joel sort of brought it up with Chivas USA. 
like Chivas USA was a failure. And I sort of mm-hmm. get that. And I want to sort of parallel that to uh, Mundos. And we've talked about that a little bit, like Mundos, the channel. Yeah. You remember Mundos, Jaime? It's, I think it's a Telemundo. I never, I never like, uh, had, I, I know of it, but I never really watched it. There was a channel in English talking about like, I don't think just soccer, but like anything Mexico. I think they did music as well, like a top 10. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was definitely for like the younger demographic. Yeah. And it was in English. Um, but then I think it went away. And so yeah. my, my prediction is like this whole English coverage of Mexico and Mexican soccer is sort of like Mundos. And I think you said, uh, Walter, that it was before, you know, before it's time. time yeah. if, it was, if it was to exist now, like if they were to put all their effort and think long term, um, I'm thinking I'm looking at ROI. And my prediction would be that it might go the way of like a Chivas USA or it might, you know, it might not work out like even after five years. Um, sort of based on, but you're saying that, you know, it might, well, I guess their, their push would make it work out long-term. My, well, my thought that if it, if they tried to make it work out long-term, I'm still thinking like the Mexican American is still going to go its way of the NBA or NFL or, I or, honestly, or something else. I honestly think uh, what Walter said is they're going to start uh, supporting the MLS, man, especially now with yeah. more and more like you know, recognizable Mexican well, players, you know, jumping ship. And I mean, right now, uh, Jonathan Gonzalez from Rayados, he posted on Instagram saying uh, the last dance, and uh, we're assuming that he's on his way to the MLS. So, yeah. I think you're you're starting to see a lot more pochos start to wear those LAFC colors, and yeah, I was about to mention LAFC. I mean. If you look at what Atlanta United has been doing, LAFC, in terms of a market outreach, you know, everyone can feel a part of the club, right? doesn't matter what color you are, what your, you know, economic background is. And so they've done a good job. I think other MLS clubs are still a little bit behind with that. And without naming any specific clubs, I think some clubs, they kind of market or target a specific subset of soccer fan, like one like I said, I'm not gonna call anyone's out, but I feel like one specific club to like that club, you have to you know have a long beard, uh, wear like a little golf cap and and drink craft beer to to be that a fun a fan of that club, right? But if I'm Mexican American, like I don't identify at all with them. But if if I'm Mexican American or if I'm Vietnamese or black or you know Filipino, I I can probably like LAFC if I'm from that area because the way that they attract me they speak to me in a way that resonates with me. Right. And same with Atlanta. So I think as more clubs start to adapt that, that type of marketing approach where everyone feels a part of that community, then, and, and you know, if my dad or grandpa was a club America fan, but if they're the ones that are right next door to me and they're talking to me in my language, something that I understand and they have activations and involve me in the community, like I'm probably going to go for that club as opposed to club America. Right. Yeah, I'm already yeah. starting to see that. I'm already starting to see, uh, you know, Pochos here that, oh, my dad was a Chivas fan. My dad was a, you know, but then you see them secretly wearing the LAFC colors or like, hey, man, like this, this team speaks more to me. Like this is, these are, this is my city. That's another thing too, is like, this is my city, you know, it's like, yeah, and, yeah. And we have a, we have Carlos Vela. He's Mexican, you know, so it's like, it's so easy to make the transition. That's, that's yeah. an anomaly. That's an anomaly, though. You guys, you guys are spoiled over there in uh, in LA and California, because because you have that environment there to already like fall into. 
but let's 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 say the whole United States as a whole, and you have like a pie of okay, when kids grow up, they're gonna fall into this category of sports fan because the NFL has uh, let's say like thirty five percent of the market. So this is thirty five percent chance you're gonna a kid is gonna be an NFL fan, then thirty or forty percent chance they're gonna be NBA, and then whatever other interests there are, and then maybe like a ten percent chance they're gonna be MLS or soccer fan or soccer can fit into MLS or even like the U S national team. Like I talked to this guy who was, uh, he's born in Mexico, but he's a U.S. national team fan living in Austin. So that, that even happens, but those are so rare. And I think the parents are like the main thing. If Liga Max is going to be, uh, a huge market and interest for Mexican Americans, it's going to be because they grew up with a parent who was a Chivas fan or an America fan. And they not just watch the games, with the kid in the in the room or around, they have to bring their kid and force the kid to to watch and to you know to have that passion for that club, and that's the only way that a Mexican American is gonna you know have a good chance, and that's very very common in LA, but in the whole other United States, kids are gonna be playing like Fortnite and doing all kinds of other stuff. Yeah, the future is well, uh, I, esports I, for sure. <laughs> yeah, well, I I think Bebeto, I think you underestimate the ability for a, a person to like multiple things and, and still adapt with all of them. So like I grew up, football was actually American football was my first love and passion. It actually still is. It's still my favorite sport. However, you know, I can speak for myself and many others that are Mexican Americans that they like, they have a favorite NBA team. They have their favorite NFL team. They have their favorite, maybe MLS team, but they still have their favorite league MX team where they might only, they like football, basketball, baseball but they still have a league mx team and that's their only soccer team and so i think as you look at what's been happening uh two things uh america is becoming more diverse and what i mean by that is uh you know the caucasian demographic in the you know a few more decades will no longer be the dominant or the majority you know ethnic ethnicity uh it'll be mostly you know latinos and, and other demographics and uh you know that's that diversity people by context and background probably didn't like football first. And then what you're seeing with the, the, the uh, effects that we're still seeing from sports participation with football because of the concussions with CTE. So that's going to become less popular. I think that's going to be dragged out longer, but over the next 30, 40, 50 years, baseball has been a dying sport. Not I'm, I'm maybe exaggerating, but when you look at ratings and when you look at where baseball was 40, 50 years ago to where it is now, it's definitely taken a decline. Basketball is increasing. Soccer is increasing. And so I think when you kind of put all those things together, again, looking for putting, you know, my sports market research cap on, seeing what's been trending, what's what's happened in the past, what's currently happening, what's happening, what's happening with the shifts in demographics, et cetera. Like, that's why I'm very bullish on soccer as a primary sport for people. But even if it isn't the primary sport for people, it's still going to be one of the top sports and and. I can be a, a season ticket holder for the Dallas Cowboys, but also be a season ticket holder for FC Dallas if I have the consumption and interest to do so. And especially if, if you know, in 10 years, if MLS increases its quality by a lot, that it's actually attractive to watch an MLS game for, you know, for all the bad things that is spoken about MLS in terms of quality. So I I understand your point, Bethel, but I, I, I just, I don't agree based on what I've researched and based on what what I'm seeing and just the fact that, you know, 
whether you're Mexican American or not, like you can like multiple sports and still consume them and still invest financially and emotionally in, in each team that you like. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get that. We can, we can see though. We'll, we'll have to see. I tried to make a poll today. Uh, on Twitter, I, I asked, uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, my following is not large at all. So this is sort of weak sauce, but I tried to hashtag like all the, uh, the top trending things to see if I could get anywhere else. But like soccer, it, only seven people voted, so soccer got 85%, and then basketball got 14% of uh, like what your favorite sport is. I put boxing, soccer, baseball, and basketball. Hmm. Boxing and baseball got zero, but I mean, that's not, that's a very small thing, but. Um, and you know what? I mean, that brings me to another point. So, so Beto, you, you follow MMA a lot, right? You're into mixed martial arts and that type of yeah. world, right? So where was that world from a popularity standpoint 20 years ago? Uh, 20 years ago? I, I, think, I don't think 20 years. When did the UFC started? Like, started around that time. It, I'll yeah, tell so you this. Very, like, very, MMA very, has definitely changed since I was a kid. Like, I didn't know MMA yeah. until I was like maybe 14. So like 2004, 2005, that's when I started to first hear the rumblings of UFC. But yeah, it's definitely increased in popularity. But but I mean, and thinking of, you know, probably back in those times too, you know, when they had their probably their official Facebook page and then with Twitter and everything, like it was still probably really low, really like insignificant, right? But now when you look at it, it's it's becoming much larger. It's still not where it needs to be. And what I mean by that is if you look specifically with UFC, if you guys remember, if you guys or if you guys follow it, I, I follow it more from the business standpoint because of what I do, not so much on, on what's happening within the, the octagon. But um, if you guys look specifically, I don't know if you guys remember what happened a few years ago with at, with um, fighters that they had to all wear Reebok gear in yeah. the in the octagon, right? Because it was a, an official UFC sponsor, and so they could that basically eliminated additional revenue income for fighters within the ring where they can get maximum exposure, right? Yeah. And so the fact that UFC had to do that was to secure and stabilize their incomes, which means that they're still in a very much in a, in a niche uh, environment in growth sport. They've, they're more popular than they were 20 years ago, but they still have a long ways to go relative to the NBA and the NFL. And so what I what I wanted what I'm trying to say with that though is. Bethel for as a, another counterpoint to to you kind of talking about the you know the lack of success for English media language accounts like it's they're barely starting like they should have done this maybe five ten years ago but you know the real return that they'll see is in the next ten to fifteen to twenty years similarly to the UFC when they start investing in and 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 this this content so that these ten and fifteen year old Mexican-American kids that speak zero Spanish can start to be attached to these clubs so that when they are in college or when they graduate and they have disposable income now and they can travel to Mexico or they can go to friendly matches or they can have money to spend on merchandise, that's where that starts to pay off, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I think it sort of does um, in that, that the UFC bursted on the scene really, really quick. So if that could happen in in the sport of soccer, then I can see that being a thing. But I, I'm still fixed fixated in the like the cubby hole. This is where the fans are most likely going to be going to or be attracted to. And and I see that as being you know the NBA or the NFL and or, or whatever it is. But soccer, I still see it as a small a smaller sport. 
Um, when I even go to like Austin FC, when I go to look at Austin FC, I see a bunch of white dudes. Um, every now and then I'll see like a Mexican jersey or I'll see some Mexican Americans or Mexican. But the majority is, you know, just, you know, just white dudes. So well, yeah. I think the, the, so, so from my perspective, and I, I might be like uh, a Texas, it might be a Texas perspective as opposed to like a California or, you know, s- some other location like Miami or something. But from my perspective that I'm seeing, um, if, if the U.S. is not a soccer, like if soccer isn't the number one sport in the U.S., then I don't see how, you know, all these fans will all sudden flock to that sport, especially to, you know, and, and if they do, they might be MLS. For it to be Mexico, the the percentage I think the chances of that are even smaller. But yeah, we'll have to see. We, we'll, we'll see. see I think I think um, like I said, there's still a lot of uh, you know first gen Mexicans, second gen Mexican Americans that are like that's that's right now the the best time to make a move on them before they do Every, before they do get yeah. consumed by MLS. You know, they get brainwashed into supporting MLS teams. <laughs> And every story I hear is about like, oh, my tío or my uh, my dad or wh- whoever, my family. We're always watching in Clásico or we're always watching uh, Tijuana play and all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. then, you know, they, they, they get that little spark and then they go off. Um, but if that spark doesn't really exist or, you know, or it doesn't take, maybe it doesn't take. And, uh, yeah, for sure. Um so yeah, it's a good, good discussion. Good discussion. Definitely uh, a different episode than what we've done before. And again, thank you, uh, Walter, for hopping on. Yeah, thanks for, for having me on, guys. Enjoyed the discussion and uh, your takes on uh, naked humans. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, yeah, anytime you guys want to chat, I'm, I'm, always, I'm always available and, and willing to, to chat with you guys. Yeah, sounds good. Next big topic, we'll uh, let us know or we'll let you know. All right, sounds good. Esports. All right, we want to talk some esports. All right, everyone that's listening on YouTube, thank you guys. Make sure to follow us on Twitter. Everybody, have a good night. Mm-hmm.